The Women of Ill Repute with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. So, Wendy, I had a, uh, I had a checkup recently. Is this a joke? Is this the beginning of a joke? Well, it may turn into <laughs> one, but aren't you going to ask me how I am? How are you? Uh, I'm officially normal. Yeah, well, physically. Well, well, it was a physical checkup, and yes, I was like, you want to be normal for I, for my age and my particular decrepitude. I'm I'm uh, I've got normal blood pressure, normal blood sugar, normal cholesterol. It's all good. It's all good. So, the congratulations, Brian. Thank That's you. amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I know. So, yeah, I mean, normal. If we're going to talk about normal in the dictionary, if you look it up, it means regular, average, natural, not abnormal. So congratulations. Yeah. No, being normal physically is okay, but otherwise normal can also mean work a day, run of the mill, garden variety, standard issue, predictable. So who really wants to be that? Well, as a kid, I kind of wanted to be normal. Doesn't everybody want to fit in when they're, when they're a kid? But now I don't know. I, I the, Most of the people we've invited to be on this podcast are kind of, they're not normal. They're creatives, yeah, adventuresome. My thesis is that is that there really are very few people who are normal. A lot of people pretend to. The people who pretend to be normal often have secrets, often dark secrets. Well, secrets are great. I, lo- I love secrets. But you know what? The most interesting people, they're, they're not normal. I don't yeah. want to be normal. I l- might look normal, but I don't want to be you seen do. as normal you anymore. Do. I think that's one of the things that I like about you. A lot of people who know you quite well like about you is that you seem very girl next door-ish, but you're not (laughs) when they get to know you. And that's in a good way, but you don't want to swing too far into abnormality. I mean, there's eccentricity is acceptable, and then you get into deviancy. And I'd like to be a deviant, (laughs) Um, but let's go back to normal. Some of the best entertainment, it's, well, it's based on sort of normal places or situations. Uh, A trailer park in Nova Scotia, uh, a small town in Ontario, but the characters, and we're going to get into them in just a second with our guest, they're kind of weird. They're quirky. You're, of course, talking about Trailer Park Boys. Yes. And uh, and Letter Kenny and Jonathan Torrens, who is our guest, who's in all those shows, and we're going to... Just say hello to him in just a second. But have you had a checkup lately? By a Hungarian? Does that count? No. no. You no, see, there's a reason why you're the comedian and not the journalist. The joke is, have you had a checkup? And the, the joke part is, no, but I had an affair with a Hungarian. I had an affair with a Hungarian. Help us well, out there's of something this. about a poll. Anyway, yeah. John Torrens, Jonathan Torrens is our guest. He's a recurring character in Letterkenny and Trailer Park. He was in Trailer Park Boys. Now there's a new one called Shorzy. And they're all, he, he writes, he does a podcast. He's like kind of does all of this amazing stuff. And he's he's with us. Yes, right now we can talk to him to his face. Hey, hi, hi. Wendy. I secretly hoped you were going to say I was a recurring character in your life because we have <laughs> oh. crossed paths over the years at a public broadcaster place we used to work at. You know, both of us. Yeah, I think that was the CBC. Uh, I, you probably had a happier. I was remembering that running into you in a diner in Lunenburg or something. Like you're that you're a big Nova Scotia boy. I'm everywhere. I'm actually a PEI guy by trade. Um, I was born in Prince Edward Island, but I have lived in Nova Scotia and called it home for much of my adult life. It's where I started my career on Street Sense in the late 1980s, back before the internet, when CBC was the communications railroad that united people from coast to coast. So I lived away for a long time, but I'm living back in Truro, Nova Scotia, about an hour outside of Halifax. 
So we're trying to figure out, like our whole thing, you can probably tell with the intro, you were secretly in the green room there, what we call it the green room, which oh, is wherever you are, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is about being normal. Are you normal? Because I, you know, like researching you, you've done like so many things. You're an actor, you're a writer, you're a podcaster. You, are you normal? Is that well, do you aspire to be normal? I kind of subscribe to the theory that when you don't do any one thing particularly well, it helps if you do a bunch. And that's kind of the East Coast approach to life in general, but also in this business, in this country, you have to be several things. But one of the reasons I live where I do is because it allows me to have a very normal day-to-day existence in an industry that is, by its very existence, not normal. Um, So the novelty of my so-called Canadian celebrity has long ago worn off here, and much of my existence has to do with going to the farm supply store and going to Sobeys and everyone in my neighborhood can barter a trade or a skill. All I can offer, as you can relate, is hosting. No one needs any hosting done in the country. But the great thing is most of my interactions fill up the creative well and there are character ticks that I can draw on to play these weirdos on these shows. So you are cast, well, certainly in your more adult life, as opposed to the the stuff that you did as a kid, and you were a kid, Uh, but they're all odd characters, like uh, a white wannabe rapper or a a Mennonite Mennonite farmer and and Noah Dick, a Quebecois sportscaster. I mean, you're not necessarily weird, but you're written weird. Your characters are written weird. It took going to Los Angeles and sitting in casting rooms with a bunch of buff dudes in deep V-neck t-shirts to realize my lot in life. Uh, (laughs) I might have seen myself at one time as, I don't know, maybe I could be leading man material. I don't know if I peaked too soon or had a false sense of confidence. But without exception, the casting directors would say, okay, you guys will read for hunk, hunk, hunk. And they'd look at me and say, weird guy at the convenience store in the lobby, uh, perv. Um, guy who's new to town that everyone is kind of afraid of, uh, gay best friend, like the other category of life and of acting characters is not only where I find myself, but it's also the most fun because there's no responsibility of having to carry the burden of an entire series on your shoulders. It's like Weekend Dad. You can just kind of show up every seven pages, make a few jokes, and no one gets sick of you before you peel off. But the characters all have something in in common, which is overconfident and underqualified, which is just personally (laughs) what I find really funny. So I just want to know, are all of the people in the V-neck t-shirts and the hunks, are, are, they're not happy, right? They're not. Well, when you're, when you're entire, and this is something women certainly relate to maybe more so than men, when your value is wrapped up in your looks, uh, and there's no way you're going to hang on to that forever, then, you know, that's not a recipe for happiness. Better to be a character actor. Better to be a character, I would argue, in general. I would argue, too, it's more interesting, and not that I obviously could speak to what it's like to be buff and wear a deep V-neck T-shirt, <laughs> but I know that once I accepted that I was niche guy, there's such a freedom that comes with that because I'm not purporting to be anything I'm not. But Wendy, I I have the same question for you in in a news context. Did you feel like you had to wear a CBC News coat of armor that didn't allow you to be the silly deviant that you claim to be? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm not that deviant. I've, I've kind of embraced that. And, and I, you know, people who know me know a different Wendy, but that was, it was kind of real. Like journalism meant a lot to me and the politics meant a lot to me. And it was kind of, it was kind of an easy way of living. Well, I don't have any opinions and I'm not going to pronounce on anything because I'm just a journalist. So I didn't have to take any positions on anything, which now I can confess made life a lot easier. But it wasn't that constraining because, because CBC, you know, I, we, we're not on great terms right now, but, but it was a great place. They let me do all kinds of shit. Well, and so did you, Street Sense and Jonavision. Like it was a really cool place. Now I'm not so sure it's so cool, but yeah, I, I got to be, I got to do lots of, lots of cool stuff, but being an anchor, like Maureen looks at, at, you know, I used to put on the big anchor voice and the big, well, we used to wear shoulder pads in Ottawa, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the, the makeup and the hair and like everything had to be perfect. And, and I had the anchor voice, which my daughter does a very, very good impersonation of. I think there's a real dichotomy at CBC between the creative side of it and the news side of it. I think the news people are held to a very rigid uh, standard. Uh, maybe they've loosened up a little bit, but not that much. Whereas on the creative side of it, CBC can hold its own with anybody uh, in terms of, you know, off the wall quirkiness for sure. But I, I don't, I think it's very much two separate solitudes. Were those walls or lines blurred for you in radio? I assume you were always kind of encouraged to be yourself and bring anecdotes and, you know, share a peek behind the curtain. That thank you for asking. I never was like anybody else on the I didn't even want to be on the radio. That wasn't I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> and I ended up getting a summer job and it turned into a career. But I think the reason why I was good at it was because I said things that that other people wouldn't say. And I, I you know, I, I wasn't trying to conform um, there wasn't a lot of leeway early in the day. Like you were the laughing woman if you were on a show. The men would make jokes and you would like be the designated laugher. But then later, I guess about about 20 years ago, I started realizing I could make the men laugh, which was powerful and fun. So that's sort of, that's where the way I went. But it wasn't it wasn't a prescribed path. Yeah, I, I didn't want to fit in. Uh, not not there. I remember. The formula used to be the dude, the dick, and the dough in the morning, right? <laughs> that was radio's recipe yes, for success. Yes, the dude, the dick, and the dough. That's Who really funny. I was in, the dough, that, clearly. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, in, in that lineup, I would be the dough. And maybe in this triumvirate, <laughs> I am the dough as well. Just happy I don't to be know. here and tagging along for the ride. But you were, you chose to be the dick. Good for you. I decided I wanted to be a little bit of the dick. There's a morning show on Parks and Rec. They're called Crazy Ira and the Douche. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great name for a morning show. But they didn't have a dough. There's a stand-up uh, comic who ha has a joke about how on morning shows, it's always two guys with a nickname and someone with a hyper-normal name, like <laughs> Cactus Space Meatloaf and Helen in the morning. <laughs> like, why doesn't Helen get a nickname? <laughs> Because women are supposed, women are supposed to play the part of the female, but that's that's uh, that's very interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between being weird and mentally ill. I mean, there is a distinction, and this is what we were touching on earlier. With that, if you if you wander too far off into trying to be deviant, in Wendy's case, that's <laughs> that's a little questionable. I mean, you do need to fit into the world to be healthy. 
My wife will casually mention from time to time how it's no secret that I'm a little out there. And I'm stopped in my tracks every time she says that because it, to, to me, it doesn't seem that way at all. I seem like the most normal person going. And in fact, maybe I use more energy in attempting to appear that way than most do. I, you know, I try to downplay what I do for a living, which is not common in my neighborhood. I try to be normal dad as much as possible. If anything, people say, oh, you must be crazy, wacky dad, are you? I'm probably more serious and not severe, not stern, none of those things. But I think kids need parents. They don't need BFFs. So my day-to-day life, which I can achieve here, probably is more normal than people might expect. And it, it took figuring out for me that balance was how to achieve normalcy. And I can have balance here. I found it really interesting, a tweet. I don't follow you all the time. I'm not, I'm not a, a, a stalker. A weirdo. Uh, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm only a slightly deviant. deviant. But you tweeted something recently, I think about how you were in Europe or something, and there was some cab driver, and he was saying, yep, I got my job. Uh, the, the difference between America, uh, North Americans and Europeans being you do what you want and we do what we, what we need or no vice versa. So that he would basically do his job. Then he would go surfing. Then he'd go drinking with his buddies. Like what else do you need? And yet, you know, you look at all of the things that you've done, you've got like kind of both, both things going on and and you've named your kids unusual names like what is it it's uh sugar daisy and indigo i love those names yeah. but you know you've yeah. given that's that's a little off uh, uh off the wall i don't know if i've ever told this story publicly both my wife's grandmothers were named daisy so we knew we wanted to incorporate daisy somehow we had just been to savannah where people call each other sugar hey sugar hey sugar how you doing sugar carol was six months pregnant We were going for lunch at this restaurant that we like. On the drive there, we were saying, Daisy, sugar, sugar, Daisy. And I remember saying, I wonder if sugar Daisy is a flower. It sounds like kind of rolls off the tongue. I know it sounds hippie-ish and actory and all the things that normal is not. We get to the restaurant. The server comes over and says, Carol, this new catalog called Bunnies by the Bay just arrived. There's some cute dresses in it. You should look. And on the first page, there was a little gingham dress that said sugar Daisy on the chest. So that was, again subscribing to the universe in a way that most people would say is not normal. That was very evident that that was supposed to be her name. And she goes by Suge. And as weird as it is, she kind of looks like a little sugar daisy. And to be honest, we probably thought we would have one kid. And then suddenly we were having another one. It's like, what do you do now? And <laughs> like we have cactus face and meatloaf. We can't name the second one, Helen. So we had to find a name that was complimentary, but didn't overshadow and wasn't competitive. Like, couldn't be veranda or something like completely bananas. That's how we settled on indigo. My dad used to say that gonorrhea and syphilis are the most beautiful words. <laughs> they would make like a lovely names for a set of twins, but they are, of course, STDs. But um, right. what if Sugar Daisy becomes a, you know, like a Supreme Court justice? She'll be Madam Justice sugar daisy Torres. i know and i've spent a lot of time thinking about what happens when all the kids with hyphenated last names start to get married and then someone is vanessa mcneil anderson thompson bananaville like people are, aren't going to be able to have business <laughs> cards anymore i have some friends who named their daughter i'm not going to give her full name but danger is her middle name no way way on her passport. 
That's her full name is something danger something. And that doesn't go over well at security. I don't know how old your kids are, but do they do they want to be normal? Like I remember like trying so hard to fit in. And then at some point you're just like, like, screw it. I don't I don't want to fit in. I want to be myself. So I don't know how old your kids are. You're you're to me. You're still like a, a youth. But uh. right. well, they're, youth. they're 13 and 11. Um, and they're in junior high. They are so far young, 13 and 11. Uh, they're not devicey kids. They're, they play dolls and make up dance routines. And part of the reason, at least, that we live where we do is because, well, this is the irony. We know that bad things happen in the world and, and assume they'd be more exposed to that in a bigger place, for example. And then Portapic happened very near our home. So that was kind of a big lesson in that you realize you can only protect them so much, but they will be exposed to things beyond your control and just have to do your best to instill them with values and good judgment and all that stuff that people talk about. But I would say they do a very good job of being normal, despite me doing a job that isn't normal here, despite the fact that they get to travel a fair bit to places that a lot of people who live around here don't get to go. You try to instill gratitude and all that stuff in your kids, but the best way for them to be aware is to see how other people live and see that it isn't easy for everyone and know that everyone has a story, including kids that live pretty close to the bone in their school. So, so far, they're very aware and kind, uh, nice little tiny roommates. (laughs) The Women of Ill Repute. You've been a regular character on all of these shows, Lighter Candy, Trailer Park Boys, now Shorzy, but they're all sort of similar in that they they kind of glorify life in small towns. And you're from Halifax, which is not exactly a small town, but it, it is about celebrating the normal through the weird. And I just, I don't know, it seems to resonate with a lot of people. Small town life, hockey players, I never got into that because I didn't really have a dad or a brother or whatever, but it's it's hockey players, skids, what, I can't remember, I mean, in my day, it used to be the, the brains and and the, the and the jocks, yeah, and the sto- and the stoners were sort of on the side. So now you've got what's normal, and and why are they all in love with the same girl? And is that what's normal? I mean, they're all, <laughs> you know, they all kind of come together. One of the things that I uh, have always been proud of about Trailer Park Boys is that as a microcosm, uh, these are people who don't have much. But try telling them they should feel sorry for themselves. It's never occurred to them. They're just trying to play the hand that they've dealt and their goals are reasonable and manageable and generally attainable. Kind of the nice thing about that particular show, especially in the early going, is that no one calls bubbles words that society sometimes uses for people with learning challenges. No one judges Randy and Leahy's relationship. J-Rock thinks he's black. That's my character. He's, he doesn't act that way he thinks he is and it's not questioned in the park that's just j-rock and there's kind of a nice code among thieves um on a show like that i think letter kenny is similar to a degree and maybe best of all anytime external forces threaten the group they band together and stick together in the way that a family should as mike Kleinberg, who was the creator of trailer park said when you take away the guns and dope and swearing it's a show about <laughs> family and people who love each other very much and that's <laughs> That's kind of true. I think much has been written about Trailer Park Boys and why it resonated, which we never thought it would. It seemed very hyper-local. 
but I think it's because everyone knows those guys and maybe watching it makes you feel a little better about your own lot in life. People love J-Rock so much and love you as him or loved you as him. And I, did you ever get any pushback? I mean, my my millennial kids are, or I guess our kids are post-millennial, our 24-year-olds are incredibly, like if I, if I even try to approach, uh, if I say something with a, what I thought was a Southern accent, I'm accused of being insensitive to black people and it's it's just uh, they are a different generation and uh they are hyper aware uh, to put it kindly and i guess the way that we were probably a different generation too i i really have been challenging myself not to say kids these days despite how different the parameters are now i had a bit of an epiphany we were watching an animated movie about fish and when they uh, go to the land, they grow legs, and they walk on land. And I was like, hold the wedding. That doesn't make sense. And my kids were like, just go with it, man. And that is their entire approach to gender fluidity. And yeah. a classmate who might have been Kevin on Friday, who's Kendra on Monday, they don't overthink it. It just is. And that's kind of a beautiful approach. So I don't know that you could do a character like J-Rock now. Um, at the time... People in the rap community were like, honestly, thanks for making fun of some of these guys. And people who were some of those guys were like, thanks for representing us, dog. <laughs> One thing I didn't know uh, until fairly recently is that there was a rapper in Halifax whose name was J-Rock. It was an acronym for Just Respect Our Culture. Oh. <laughs> honestly, didn't know that until the last couple of years when uh, someone from the community here was like, man, did you steal the name from him? Of course not. Didn't know that I felt a little sheepish about. But someone asked me around the fifth or sixth season if I felt sorry for J-Rock and it had never occurred to me that you would. I don't think you can play characters like that while you're judging them at the same time. I think you have to try to inhabit them and be as plausible as possible. It's fascinating because I think in, in Shorzy, which is the, the new spinoff of Letterkenny, uh, you play Remy Nadeau. So I, I Googled Remy and there is one. There and is a Remy Nadeau. There, there is yeah. a Remy Nadeau. And you have like, you've got his hair. We used to call it Levecking his hair because I yeah. went to Quebec City when, when he was premier. And he had like, he had like two strands of hair that he, he greased across the top of his head. And and you do that, and he's in the work. It's not just 1970s coats. It's like, it's really bad. It's, yeah. it's, so obviously you feel a certain freedom to love people and mock people all at once. Yes. Um, but you have to love them, I think, to mock them a little bit. It's like you can't, uh, you can't play guitar badly in a comedy sketch unless you sort of know how to play guitar a little bit. So I was in French Immersion. Um, half my teachers were from like the Maritime, spoke Maritime French. Some of them were from France. Some of them were English teachers like, oh, you teach biology? Can you learn French over the summer and then teach these French immersion kids biology and French? So the yeah, no cocktail <laughs> of influences in my French are very broad. And so I can manger an hamburger with the best of them especially because we're close to Moncton where Franglais is like the national language. So I felt like I could bluff my way through that a little bit, but Jared Kiso used to listen to our podcast, Taggart and Torrens, and we did a Quebec strip club DJ <laughs> and he would take Canadian 
uh, names of fa famous Canadians and, and make them into their strip club versions. And something that struck me really funny was the idea that uh, a performer in those small roadside Quebec venues would have, like, choose to use their own name. So one of my characters was Marie-Josée Bilodeau. <laughs> and just the idea that Marie-Josée would be like, you can use my name, it's fine, <laughs> just struck me really funny. So Rémi Nadeau was sort of born out of that same kind of guy who talk like this and talk like that. <laughs> There's a lot of tongue talking in Franglais, I find. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you get to joke about it. And I'm also glad that uh, on a number of shows that there's a recurring theme in fart jokes. And I love fart jokes. <laughs> do you? You do. Yes, he does. I don't, but you do. <laughs> I do. Yeah, well, we had to decide when we were getting our photos done for this podcast, how do we want to be? And I was like, I want to be goofy. And you were, Maureen, you were like, I want to be glamorous. So we were kind of like, you are kind of goofy, but you are, and I'm not at all glamorous. The last thing I wanted was to, we have one shot on our website where we look like Cagney and Lacey, and I find that the goofiest <laughs> thing. You know, we're both sort of like There's back a cop to back. Show. Yeah, yeah, we look like look like uh, lady cops, and uh, so yeah, that blew up in our faces. But <laughs> you don't like fart jokes? I don't like fart. I don't like bodily fluids at the best of times. Or jokes uh, well, about them. Well, you belong them. on the CBC then. Yeah. Well, I live, I have boys. I have grown sons and a husband and, and I worked with men You've for years. Them. I've lived them. You know, every day's a fart joke. And uh, particularly at work, you know, what, what rock radio might have been like uh, back in the day. And, and because I didn't like it, and here's the other thing, because I didn't like it, I was subjected to it all the time because I'm an easy of target. Of course. Right. So I found this really interesting, Jonathan, that you ask about me and Maureen. I, like you're you're a podcaster or a journalist or whatever. Like most times when we interview people, it's just it's all about them. And you're like, no, tell me about stuff. I'm genuinely a fan and have questions that I've always wanted to ask. So this feels like the natural place to do it. Yeah. So you got any more like jokes or no? Wendy wants to know what else you want to ask her. <laughs> well, I guess it's in the same sort of category of questioning or same line of questioning now that you are not working there and working in an environment like this which i have found when we started doing podcast i wanted to produce it first segment is a top five list second segment's a guest third segment some spontaneous fun fourth segment a game and it was only when the wheels came off the bus and we indulged these flights of fanny fancy and showed kind of a warts and all environment that we really got great responses from our listeners. Wendy, how have you felt about being candid and trying to be comfortable just being your actual self in this context? I've actually loved it, uh, but there are dangers. Like I got, I don't want to name them, but an old boss of mine got in touch after we did an interview with Anne Medina saying, no, 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 that's not at all what happened. And, and are you not a journalist? You are a serious journalist. Do you not need to like check? And I'm like, no, I don't need to check everything. It is just about interviewing people that we find interesting and listening to their side of the story. And, you know, if they accuse somebody of murder, like, we're probably not going to put it on the air. Like there's been a couple of things that we won't tell you about that we've cut out, not swear words, but other things. But but other than that, no, it's it's pretty freeing. It's, a, it's the first time in my life that I haven't had what uh, Maureen calls an overlord, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. And when we were coming up, like a show like Street Sense, for example, because there were three channels, it had to appeal to 
everyone in the house gathered around that family hearth and had to kind of be broad enough that everyone could find some enjoyment in it. Um, now with podcasting, you could be so micro that the people who are interested in the particular thread you're pulling on will be rabid. And I've always said I'd rather be part of something that is everything to some than just like I'm vaguely aware of it, like something to everyone. And I think it used to be the medium is the message. Now it's like the message is the number of mediums there are. And I think that's why the networks in Canada haven't wrapped their heads around that yet. I never could get, I mean, I have a, I have a master's degree in communications and I still never understood what the medium is the message really meant. And I think that's, that's misconstrued a lot, but what I do know about podcasting uh, just from having done it uh, ourselves for the past year and listening to others that well, we have a number, number of friends in broadcasting who've said, well, you know, do you pre-produce it or do you have, and, and they can't seem to get their heads around the fact that it's just a conversation warts and all. And that's, What's appealing about a podcast is that people might say anything and do say anything and that it shouldn't be heavily edited because then it just turns into another boring set interview piece. And in a hashtag LOL emoji universe, there are few forums for long form conversation. And I like that this is one. So are you still doing a podcast? Yeah, yeah. The former drummer of Our Lady Peace, Jeremy Taggart, and I started one, I guess, probably six or seven years ago now. And that's still going on. Yes, not as frequently as it should, as I'm sure you know, <laughs> if you can have regular drops on the same day at the same time. We enjoyed uh, some great success early on. Got to do lots of things I never thought I'd be able to. We wrote a book for HarperCollins called Canadianity. We made an album. Uh, we toured all things that I never imagined I would do. But as I sail into the twilight years of my so-called career. I'm looking to tick boxes that I haven't ticked. So that's been a really fun outlet. And also you might do Shorzy in April and it comes out on Canada Day the following year. So I like that we can do a podcast this afternoon. It's up tonight. We get emails right away. Like the immediacy and feedback of love that sketch, do that again. Wasn't a fan of that. What did you mean by that? You can address it uh, quickly. And I, w I was missing that kind of way to scratch a, a creative itch. Well, I think that's what's been so cool for us uh, is trying something new, something completely different. We have no clue. We started out thinking we were going to do six to eight and here we are. It's been, it's been a year and we're now weekly and, and it's fun, but it's, it's a lot of work. But I, what I really want to know is, do you get to keep the clothes like that jacket that you wear as Remy Nadeau? And I obviously <laughs> not going to keep the hair, but the jacket and the pants, like all that stuff. It's so, we got to wrap up in a minute, but I got to, I got to know about the. There was one thing I felt strongly about and letter Kenny, I really wanted to have a beard so I could be virtually unrecognizable and I'm not able to grow one. So uh, <laughs> I'm running out of ways to look different because I've played a lot of characters over the years. Um, so with Remy Nadu, the only thing I really cared about was Nick stains on my fingers and in my teeth. <laughs> the general shellacking look, like the, the beauty department on that show is incredible. Ginger Martini is the real name of the real costume designer on Letterkenny and Shorzy. <laughs> she no. is the architect of that look. So I can't take any credit for it, nor do I own any of the pieces. But uh, as Jack Nicholson said, you let the costume do the acting. You let... <laughs> 
It seems like everybody smokes on all the sitcoms everywhere these days. So you would know this. Are they like real cigarettes? Do you have to like, what do reform are reformed smokers they're those do? those clove cigarettes? Yeah, it depends on the actor, I suppose. People ask that a lot, as you can imagine, about Trailer Park Boys. It's not real dope. Because imagine shooting for 14 hours. Well, with one exception. When Snoop Dogg was there, <laughs> um, there might have been an exception made. Maybe. But it's, it's not real dope. And same thing, Julian doesn't have a real rum and coke in his hand because he would be banged up from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day of shooting. It would be too hard. So it's really up to the individual actor. If they're smokers, it's probably real smokes. But... Uh, otherwise, it would be clove cigarettes. We could talk to you all day. I know it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You're you're just a, you're a joy. You really are. I really enjoy talking to you. And glad. I'm sorry that I didn't realize you're still podcasting. But as you said, it's uh, yeah. He's a huge success. Yeah. Well, I knew he was. I just didn't know it was still going on. But you know, other than that, uh, congratulations no harm, on a no fabulous foul. career. And you're not near twilight unless you want to be. True story. But I actually do think about those things more than I ever did. Like, what would life look like after all the glamour of Canadian show business? And I think about the exact same as it does now as the short story. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty glamorous. Pretty glamorous. But as long as you get to keep that jacket with a fake fur collar, I'm good. Okay, I'm going to put it in my contract. <laughs> oh, I, I love seeing you again. It's so lovely to see you. You too. Until soon. This is part one of four. Okay. As we'll, long as you're we'll doing next three week. follow-up episodes. Yeah, perfect. Okay, fantastic. Well, we're going to hold you to that. Good deal. Bye, Jonathan. Bye, Jonathan. Bye. Thank you. Speaking of clothes and Halifax and being eccentric, I'm going to bring this all t- together. So occasionally I'm, I'm given to buying pieces of clothing, especially when I was younger, that are odd. A little bit of sort of theatricality, less so now, but I used to. And I have a pair of of red pants, and they're like they're like parachute pants, and they're made of red, the same color as my, the wall behind me. And I still wear them. And uh, I was wearing them the other day, and John said, "You look like a fun person," <laughs> which was <laughs> which was not really what I was going for. But yeah, but I was in Halifax years ago with Aiden. We were looking at universities, so we went to visit Dalhousie and King's College. So we were getting up to go to a sharing hotel room. We're getting up to go look at these schools, and I put on these red pants. And he said, are you going to wear those? <laughs> I said, yeah. And he said, I guess it's okay. I don't know anybody in this town. <laughs> So you're not supposed to wear red pants. Yeah, but mothers, you know, mothers are always embarrassing until they're not embarrassing. Exactly. Yeah, you got to get over that. I I was a little bit starstruck, which is a little silly. I mean, I was kind of like nervous to talk to him. Really? Yeah, and I don't get that starstruck, but I was, and I'm just so happy. I wanted him to tell me that all the, like the buff dudes in the V-neck t-shirts and and whatever, that that they're all posers and that he's happy. And he he does seem like he's happy. It's so, yeah. it's so great that he's like a great dad and he's also doing it. And he's doing it the way that he wants to do it, which is so great. So I think yeah. you're doing it the way you want to do it too. I mean, I not only did I enjoy Jonathan and enjoy this interview and this episode, but I really enjoyed you in this episode because you know it's been a year, and uh, just listening to Yikes. you, yeah. yeah, well, it flies even when you're not having fun. Uh, but just listening to you talk about how far you've come from where you were and how much you're enjoying it, and I mean, I am too, but I'm glad that you are. 
Is that weird? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Am I weird yeah, for I'm, thinking that's weird? <laughs> no, I'm trying to be. Uh, I'm trying to be deviant, but I'm really just a normie. So uh, we'll, we'll get there. You'll be Canada's <laughs> sweetheart, and that's good. What we're going to put on your tombstone? <laughs> going to destroy that. Talk soon. I guess. Talk soon. Yeah. See you later. Bye. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley, with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.